0: In part, I think vulnerability is really scary because we misunderstand it. Like to be vulnerable, like I've got to share with you all my insecurities, my dirty laundry, the things I didn't do right. You know, I'm going to discredit myself. I'm going to degrade myself. No, that's like reality television. You know, it's about creating genuine moments of vulnerability that are about cultivating connection, where we think as much about the message that we want to share authentically as we do about the connection that's going to be created and cultivated in that moment.
1: This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. Welcome back, Rebel HR listeners, extremely excited for the conversation today. We have a legit guest with us, Dr. Taryn Marie Staskel is with us. She is a resilience expert. She's the founder and chief resili- resilience officer of Resilience Leadership Institute. She is recognized as a number one international expert on resilience, mental health, and well-being in both leadership and life. We're going to be talking about a new book that's coming out here in March. Uh, so uh, I'm really excited to have the conversation today. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Ah, uh, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Really excited to have you here. Also extremely excited that Molly Burdess is joining us to ask all the good questions that I don't.
2: <laughs> well, Molly. Go <well>, Molly. <laughs> it's going to be fun, guys.
1: It is going to be fun. So. I love it. Um, so, 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 Taryn, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, I, I had an opportunity to connect with with somebody on your staff, and I, I, I got to learn a little bit more about your work. And I thought this is just absolutely perfect for uh, for human resources and, and for us to uh, to be focused on. So, I want to give you an opportunity to give us a little bit more background on yourself and what got you interested in resilience.
0: Yeah, that's a great great origin question. What is the genesis of where all this started? You know, it's interesting in, in writing this book that you mentioned in the introduction, the five practices of highly resilient people, why some flourish and others fold. I actually got to reflect on that question quite a bit. What is the origin story of my interest in this work? And if you had asked me this question a couple of years ago, I might've said, oh, it was, you know, when I got into graduate school and I was interviewing um, women that were experiencing financial insecurity or food insecurity or both in rural areas of Maryland and looking at like what the factors were that amplified their resilience or detracted from their resilience. Or I might have said, you know, oh, it was, you know, later on when I was getting my doctorate and I was meeting with people that had had brain injuries and spinal cord injuries. And I was looking at like What are the factors that leads to sort of a better rehabilitation, a better recovery of functioning? Actually, where it all started, and I think where it starts for many of us is like way before that, right? Because there's this perception that we have that resilience is something that occurs outside of ourselves and that we have to go and get it, find it, harness it cultivate it, right? And what I've learned in my work interviewing hundreds of people and collecting thousands of pieces of data on how we as humans effectively address challenge, change, and complexity, and what are the behaviors that we can engage in those five practices of highly resilient people that allow us to create a more positive and productive outcome in leadership and in life anytime we face Challenge is recognizing that resilience w- was actually here the whole time, right? Resilience is the essence of what it means to be human. Because if you think about it, you know, the two of you, right, Molly and Kyle and, and all of our listeners here with us today, you have effectively faced, you know, to some extent, or to a large extent, every disappointment, loss, rejection, unexpected turn of event um and what that means is is we're all resilient and i think when we start to flip this flip this script on its head that resilience maybe is only for the privileged or only for the people who get to cultivate it or only for you know a certain subset of our population and we say oh we're we're actually all inherently resilient as humans and then what that conversation evolves into is then how do we tap into, harness, and amplify the resilience that actually exists naturally within all of us?
1: I love that. It, you know, it's, it's, it's funny that uh, you mentioned that it's, uh, you know, the perception is it's outside of, of yourself, because so often we talk about, like, finding resilience, like it's this, mm-hmm. like, this quest Mm-hmm. And we have to go, you know, it's like, it's like the, the origin story to, to play off the, like the hero's journey, right? It's like, you have to go on this quest to go find this external like thing. So I, I so I think it's really fascinating to think about that, you know, this is actually internal. Um, so, so as you think about the, you know, some of the research that you've done, I'm curious how you settled on the five practices. Like, was it, did you find that? Was that like the <laughs> like the journey to find the five practices how how did you how did you discover this this uh, framework?
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that question. Um, well, you know qualitative qualitative research where we interview people and then we code the spoken word and written data. There's some similarities between qualitative research and quantitative research and quantitative research, as many people know, focuses on. You know, crunching the numbers and the statistics and that kind of thing. And if you do mixed methods, it's a, you know, a mix of qualitative and quantitative. In quantitative research with numbers, it's like, you know, you have very clear hypotheses about things, right? Does X influence Y and how, essentially? With qualitative research, I used a framework called uh, grounded theory, more specifically, like modified grounded theory. And what that is really about is not coming in with a preconceived notion around what this concept is or the experience, but instead dropping in with the hundreds of people that I interviewed and trying to see the world through their lens and then explain this concept based on what I felt I learned from all of those interviews. So I went in with the idea of seeing, you know, what are the common threads, or is there even a common thread that exists between all of us as humans? Behaviors that we can engage in that are going to create a more positive and productive outcome anytime we face challenge, change, and complexity or the the three C's we can call them, right? And so I went in with the idea of like looking for a common thread that exists between all of us as humans, but I didn't have preconceived notions about what those things are or were and how many of them there were, you know. So, you know, what what evolved in sort of the process of the qualitative research is reviewing and coding the data and then starting to find what we call organizing themes, right? So, So what are things that people are saying that sound like they have something in common, you know? And so if we just take the first practice of particularly or highly uh, resilient people, the first practice is the practice of vulnerability, right? So I started noticing when people told me about the ways that they effectively address challenge, they were telling me about opening up to others in the midst of that moment and sharing with them what was going on. They were talking about the discomfort of allowing people to have a view of what was going on in their life and how that actually ended up helping them because people knew what were, what was going on, could support them, could offer knowledge and and resources and that kind of thing. So starting to think about like, you know, okay, what are the what what are the commonalities been hearing? And those become kind of the organizing concepts. And so what emerged from the data is the five practices of highly resilient people. And those are really the five organizing concepts that emerge, but not from me, from really sort of diving into the perspectives of others and looking at this work through that lens. That's
1: fascinating. You know, I, I think it's, it's even that first practice, you wouldn't necessarily assume. And I think it's, it's, you know, resilience is such an interesting topic because, you know, a lot of times it's the, I mean, at least you know, the theory that I was brought up in is, you know, don't show your emotions at work. You know, you got, you've got your work person and you've got your home person, you know, don't show vulnerability at work. Cause then you, you know, somebody will remember that and then you'll, then you won't get that promotion because they think you're, you know, there, there's all these kinds of underlying cultural themes that even the idea that vulnerability actually makes you more resilient um, is, is a little bit provocative. I think with some of the, some of the way that the, Business world operates, at least in my experience.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's hard to do. No, no, I was (laughs) just say it's absolutely hard to do, and especially you know as a leader. I guess my question to you would be: What advice do you have for someone in a leadership role that that struggles with that? Yeah, I love I love that comment, Kyle,
0: and that question, Molly. Um, for me, when I uncovered vulnerability as the sort of first or foundational practice of what it means to be. Resilient, right? In in leadership and life, right? Kind of talking about that that home person, that work person that you mentioned, Kyle. To your point, I was um, I was both surprised by that because there is this kind of cultural ethos that like vulnerability and resilience are opposite poles, you know, not something that goes together. So I was surprised, and I was also convicted by it personally because I was like, oh you know, darn it, right? Like now, now I get to, you know, practice this. And to your point, Molly, it, it's, it's very uncomfortable. It's, it's very scary. And, um, I had really, I had really built a career on being invulnerable. You know, I had built a career in the opposite of vulnerability, which was like perfection, having it all together, right? The like, you know, facade of, you know, what it, what it, what I wanted people to see as opposed to what was more authentic. So that's sort of the groundwork for that. So then if, if we dip into vulnerability for a moment, it's worth defining, it's worth defining vulnerability because if there's a word that's as misunderstood as resilient, it's probably vulnerability, right? So vulnerability is not about discrediting yourself. It's not about being self-effacing. It's not about degrading or downplaying your accomplishments or what you bring to the table. A lot of people think that's vulnerability. Like we're all back in middle school and we're going to like point something out before anybody else can, right? So vulnerability is about allowing our inside self as humans, our thoughts, feelings, and experiences to as closely as possible match the thoughts, feelings, and experiences that we're sharing with the world, right? Mm. Now, this is a lifelong process. In psychology, we call this congruence, right? The closer that that inside self is to our outside self, the more congruent we are. and that, and the more vulnerable, right? The less vulnerable we are is like when there's more and more and more space between that inside self, thoughts, feelings, experiences and our outside self that we share with the world. So that, in sort of a nutshell, is vulnerability. And then there's a couple of things that are important to know about that, right? So one is that vulnerability is the fertile ground from which authenticity and empathy grow in -hmm. leadership and in life. So we talk a lot about, I think in business, wanting to cultivate authenticity, wanting to cultivate empathy, wanting to create deeper connection with ourselves and, and with others. Well, vulnerability is the fertile ground from which, you know, these things spring because we can't, just think about this for yourself, right? We can't be authentic or empathetic without first tapping into the kernel of something that's vulnerable for ourselves, right? That we're choosing to share. The second thing is, um, why would vulnerability be related to resilience? Right. Like, like how does that connection work? Right. And it it's connected because when we go through challenge, as I mentioned, and we're able to show up and share with people in our lives like what's really going on, or a view into what's really going on, then we have more support, we have more knowledge, we have more information, more tools and resources to help us, right, in that moment. And The farther apart our inside self is from our outside self, we're running two human operating systems, right? Like on the outside, I'm like, hey, everything's totally fine. It's like, chill. Like, don't worry. On the inside, I'm like, whoa, like stuff is like falling apart, is like not good over here right now, right? So at the time when we need the most energy to hone in on this challenge, When we split ourselves into two human operating systems, that requires a lot more energy to run, you know, two separate programs, if you will. And then the third thing is, okay, so we've heard from a lot of really illustrious thought leaders, just take Brene Brown, for example, who talk about vulnerability as being a key element in living like a wholehearted kind of flourishing life, right? So, if we know vulnerability is good for us, right? If Dr. Brené says so, if Dr. Taryn Marie says so, you know, why aren't we all running around living our most fabulous, vulnerable lives, right? And so that's the difference really between, I think, knowing and doing, right? And I asked people this question because I wanted to understand exactly what you said, Molly, like you just laser beam honed in on it. It's like, it's really hard. And so what's the, what's the sort of chasm that exists between knowing this and actually doing it because we know it's hard? And the thing that I uncovered about that is something called the vulnerability bias. And what the vulnerability bias tells us is that anytime in our minds we say, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable, right? The vulnerability bias appears to be like a hardwired cognition in our heads. It's like... <laughs> That's a terrible idea. Don't ever do that, right? And and the vo- and the voice in our head, right, goes on to say, if you are vulnerable, right, if you share with people that thing, if you allow yourself to be seen and known, three things will happen. In fact, they're called the three L's. People won't like you, they won't love you, and they might leave. And you're like, ah, snap, vulnerability bias. You had to go throw abandonment in there, folks. Might- okay, I'm out with this vulnerability, right? So how do we, you know, we talked about like really wanting to drill down on things that are practical and tangible for our audience. So like, how do we do this? Right. So the first thing is like recognizing that the vulnerability bias is a thing, right? And it's an irrational fear. And so what do we do with an irrational fear? Well, we still feel afraid and we get to face that irrational fear, right? By like dipping our toe into the vulnerability water. And the way that we do that, first and foremost, is recognizing the difference between what I call genuine vulnerability and performative vulnerability. So genuine vulnerability is about being able to look within ourselves and recognize that we're sharing something deeper about our lives. That's coming from a place of generosity and is genuine in the sense that it's about creating meaningful connection with others, right? Performative vulnerability is about reputation management, right? It's about leveraging or using something that, yes, feels vulnerable or or authentic, but like toward a goal that doesn't necessarily point to um, a genuine connection, right? And so here's like a tangible example. So I was meeting with one of my executive's coaching clients who was a high potential leader in her organization. And she was taking a cross-functional position. She was moving out of marketing and over to operations to learn this part of the business. And so we were talking about how how was she going to introduce herself to her new team? What was that going to look like? And she was like, you know what? I'm just going to be vulnerable and I'm going to tell them I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know anything about operations. I'm not totally sure why they gave me this role and I'm going to need a lot of help, right? Because that's how she and so many of us conceptualize like what vulnerability actually is. When we peeled back the layers, it was like, that's performative vulnerability. That's vulnerability from a place of fear. That's vulnerability from like reputation management in the sense that like I'm trying to keep expectations low. It's I'm trying not to be threatening to to anyone. And in the process, you know, she was discrediting herself, right? And so I was like, okay, let's think about this from a place of like genuine vulnerability, right? So then the message that we came to was, she's super excited about this role. She's been with the organization for two decades. She's won award. She's a marketing expert. We see, Synergy and transferable skills between the operations and the marketing parts of the business. She's there to bring those elements together. And she's excited about working with this team, building new relationships. She's got a lot to learn. She wants to lean on other people's, you know, institutional knowledge and know-how and really come together as a team to um, achieve great things, right? Right. So, which message do you like better, Molly? If you were if you were sitting in the room and you had a new leader, do you like the first message or the
2: second message more? Oh, the second one is completely um, fabulous, amazing. Yeah. Why? How, how does that How does that land for you? It's a different feel. It's all about confidence. Um, yeah, it's just a much better message. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I- Yeah. And so, you know, that's in part, I think vulnerability is really scary because we misunderstand it. We're like, Mm oh, like to be vulnerable, like I've got to share with you all my insecurities, my dirty laundry, the things I didn't do right. You know, I'm going to discredit myself. I'm going to degrade myself. You know, it's like, no, like that's not, that's like reality television. Not all reality television, but just reality television, right? But, you know, it's about creating genuine moments of vulnerability that are about cultivating connection, where we think as much about the message that we want to share authentically as we do about the connection that's going to be created and cultivated in that moment. Mm
2: Okay. Yeah. Wow. Great, great stuff. I guess my biggest takeaway from me and what I'm sitting here thinking as an HR leader in my organization like I have a responsibility, and I can elevate my my team by creating a safe space for my team and for my leaders to be vulnerable. Um, mm-hmm. So I definitely think that's an opportunity for us in, in HR specifically.
0: Yeah, can I can I offer a perspective on something that you just said? Yes, please. Okay, so you said the word you said the word safe space, mm-hmm. right? And I think in HR. That's something that we often say without maybe really unpacking what we're saying and what we're promising to people. And this is something that I talk about a lot because, as someone who formerly led executive leadership development at Nike, a talent strategy, and global leadership development at Cigna, right? Like I've sat in some of those HR seats. And what I realized was I can never promise anyone a safe space. Mm-hmm. Like we can put more guidelines around it. We can have agreements, you know, and and processes and structure. But if someone says something intentionally or unintentionally that's inflammatory and hurtful, I can't promise you that that is not going to happen, right? And so the conversation I like to talk about is how can we create a safer space, mm-hmm. right? Because then we're not promising people like total safety. And then if something happens, they're like, oh my gosh, you promised me total safety. This is awful, right? Like I feel betrayed. So how can we share with people a safer space? What are we going to put in place? And then invite people in that safer space to meet us there by also being braver, Mm -hmm. right? Like We're going to create a safer space and a braver space where there's more Guidelines and expectations here and agreements. And then I'm also going to invite
2: you to be a bit braver in how you step forward in the world. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. Absolutely agree with that. Okay, so we talked about one practice. What are the other four? Yeah, so a couple, like a couple, like super tangible things that you can do. Cause if you're like, hey,
0: maybe I don't have like a cross functional rotation that I'm going to jump into right quick. So how else could I practice vulnerability? Um, sometimes it's saying things like, I don't know. You know, I'm not certain. Um, I feel concerned or scared about like how this is going, right? Like really kind of tapping into some some of those honest um, emotions. Um, I like to also think about holistically, to your point, Molly, like as a leader, how can we role model vulnerability and also invite the people that we work with in our teams to be a part of this kind of resilience movement, if you will. And one way that I've really found this to be incredible, and this is not like my own exercise that I developed, and I really love it, is just taking, you know, maybe 90 seconds to two minutes for each person at the start of a a weekly meeting, Right. To go around the table or to go around the, the virtual call and to share this exercise this activity that you might be familiar with called Rose, Bud and Thor. Right. And the rose is about something that's exciting and successful um, that I'm excited about in my life. Top five or 10 percent. Right. The thorn is something that's like not going so well, something that I'm worried about, um, maybe the bottom 5 to 10% of my life. And then bud is something that um, is beautifully sort of emerging into our lives, that's creating um, anticipation or or expectation or joy. And that's a wonderful way, like sort of as we dip our toe in the water, because vulnerability can be scary to create sort of a level playing field for everyone to get to share something that's happening in their lives in the meeting that's already occurring. And, you know, it only takes sort of an additional like 90 seconds to two minutes for each person.
2: Okay, Taryn. So great, great stuff here. Um, We're going to switch over to our last round of questions. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. Great. First question. Where does HR need to rebel? Yeah. Um, gosh,
0: where don't we get to rebel? Right. Um, you know, I've always been someone who really thinks about language and the words that we use. And so when I think about this sentence, what comes to mind for me is not so much like, where do we need to, uh, but where do we get to? Right. Um, and I think for me, it's, challenging old paradigms and and notions about what we mean, about what it means to be resilient in the workforce, what it means to create and foster and engender mental health um, and well-being. And I think it's, you know, like we talked about with both resilience and vulnerability, it's getting to unpack those things in a way that feels more intelligible and accessible um, for people so that it it sort of makes makes sense, right? And that's you know convenient because it's, you know my life's my life's mission, right? Um but one idea here is that you know I didn't share the definition of resilience with you. The definition of resilience after this, you know, two decades of qualitative research that I've conducted is effectively addressing challenge, change, and complexity, the three Cs, in a way that allows us to be enhanced ultimately by our challenges, not diminished, right? And so when we look at that definition, it's powerful in part because of its simplicity, and there are also words that are not there, right, of phrases. And one is like bounce back. You know, we've made bouncing back synonymous with resilience. And so instead, we can think about every experience that we have fundamentally and forever changing us. And if you're familiar with neuroplasticity, it's like down to the cellular level, the neurological level, because every experience that we have influences how our brain is organized and and wired sort of relative to to our neurons. So I think where we get to rebel is like Really pressing into new concepts and also relooking at concepts that we've heard before and asking ourselves, does this serve us, right? Or, or like, what could this actually be? Like resilience, like vulnerability, like how can I create a safer space instead of a braver space, or a safer space and a braver space? I should say.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, just changing that language, I get to. You? Oh gosh, that's so empowering. It really oh, is. You did bring something up I didn't ask you earlier, and I want to to touch on quick just because mental health in the workplace is a huge area of concern right now for everybody do you have any advice for hr professionals or leaders to help our employees help our help our workspaces with that topic
0: yeah absolutely i am a huge believer i'm writing an article on this right now that one of the keys to wellness and mental health and you know buffering against burnout actually exists in the context of our teams, right? Um, And so, so many people I talk to, you know, they feel guilty about taking care of themselves, right? I was speaking with like a CHRO. who's like, well, I haven't been able to work out. Well, why not? Well, I usually go at lunchtime, but my team's sitting outside my office and I feel like I'm like letting them down or sloughing off because if they see me walk out of my office with my exercise bag and go to the gym, that I'm not like working as hard as they are, Right. (laughs) I'm like, no, 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 this is an opportunity for you to role model this, right? So then rather than us sort of like in our teams and communities and and organizations, like doing our wellness off to the side and sort of feeling guilty about it, it's like, let's get together as a team and say, okay, what is each one of us going to commit to relative to elevating our wellness, our mental health, our resilience, you know, if you will? Go around the room, right? Like, you know, someone might say, I want to take a, a walk at lunchtime. You know, the CHRO is like, I'm going to work out in the gym at lunchtime. Somebody else is going to take a swim before work or drop their children off a couple days a week at pre-K to spend that extra family time, right? And then we get to, in community, cheer for each other when we're meeting those goals and hold one another accountable toward that, right? So now as a CHRO, when I'm walking of my office with my gym bag, I say to my team, doing my wellness goals, you know, you guys are, you know, I hope you guys are doing yours, you know, we'll see you at the next check-in, you know, kind of thing. And I think in our teams to really create those communities of support and appreciation, that is one of the greatest untapped resources that we have inside of
2: business today. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Okay, that's our question. So, who should we be listening to? Yeah. Um,
0: well, I don't think you. I don't think you have to or should be listening to anyone. Uh, if I was going to make some recommendations, I mean, there's a lot of people that are just so powerful um, that you know, I think are on many of our radars, you know, Simon Sinek and, you know, other
2: folks like that. Um, Simon Sinek's always a good one. What's that? Simon Sinek's always a great one. It's a great recommendation. Yeah. I'm going to, um, here, I'll highlight someone who I listened to recently, who I think might be
0: like sort of lesser known, lesser well-known in the HR space. His name is Young Pueblo. Y U N G and then Pueblo, like sort of the Spanish word for like a home construction. And um I really, his work is really beautiful about mental health, physical health, finding balance, spirituality, connecting deeply with ourselves. And he said recently, it was interviewed by Maria Shriver, and he said, you know, I really think misery is going out of style, you know? And, um, I think, I think we're in a place right now where young Pueblo's work is, is one of a chorus of voices that's coming together to say, we understand so much about mental health and wellness and healing. Many times it's not it's not that we don't know what to do. It's feeling worthy enough to take care of ourselves and prioritizing that work. And yet we don't prioritize that work You know, we're not being the best version of ourselves. We might even feel miserable. And that's not a good look. So how can we be more empowered to love ourselves enough to care for ourselves?
2: Love that. I love that message. Okay, and last question. How can our listeners connect with you? Yeah. Um,
0: you know, you're welcome to jog on over to our website, resilience-leadership.com. It'll probably be in the show notes. um, We've got a nice presence on LinkedIn, Dr. Taryn Marie Staskel. uh, Instagram's also a great place uh, to find us uh, at Dr. Taryn Marie. And my TEDx talk, How Resilience Breaks Us Out of Our Vulnerability Cage, uh, just hit a million views on YouTube. So that's a great sort of, you know, 12 to 14 minute snippet that really gives you like a nice overview and allows folks to go deeper.
2: Yeah, Congratulations. Thank you. Okay. Well, this has been so fun. Um, we can't thank you enough for joining us today. And, and thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It was an honor to be here with you, Molly and Kyle. Thank you so much for having
1: me. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Revel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast.
2: Baby.